If you have your Bibles, and I assume that you do, come with me to the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 21. We'll read a few verses. The subject that I want to address today is things are starting to look up. Now, Luke, chapter 21, is an account that we find in Matthew, chapter 24, Mark, chapter 13, of signs of the end, the signs of the return of Christ. And because there's so many verses here to go through, I may mention just a few of them for the context of the one verse that I want to accent. If you look down with me at verse 29, Jesus, of course, is speaking. If you have a red lettering edition of the Bible, and it says, And he spake to them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is very nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. With that being said, the verse that I want you to look at, I'll begin reading at verse 25 and finish at verse 28. It says that there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Second coming of Christ. Now verse 28 is the verse I want to accent today, which says, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh, or your redemption is near. Now again, for context, there's much here to be said or examined in Luke chapter 21, as also I mentioned Matthew 24, Mark 13, signs of the return of Christ. Some of these things you need to know, such as, for example, the destruction of Jerusalem has already been fulfilled. In 70 AD, then General Titus, who went on to become the emperor, came into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. This, as you know, was not the first time that the temple was destroyed. Other parts of this discourse with Jesus speaking have not yet been fulfilled. Now, the problem, or should I say the challenge, with interpretation of prophecies that are not yet fulfilled, it's easier, in other words, to interpret prophecies that have already been fulfilled. But to interpret prophecies that have yet a future fulfillment is not all that easy to do. For example, in Matthew chapter 61, when Jesus stood up in the synagogue at the very beginning of his ministry, and he declared, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then he has sent me, you know, to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free and all of that. And to declare the acceptable year of the Lord, that's the second verse of Isaiah 61, he stopped. It says, and he closed the book. And he said, this day, this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. And he began his ministry, which we know, healing and mercy and teachings like this one here, eschatology, Bible prophecy. But if you read Isaiah 61, verse 2, the tendency would be, back then, to see them as one thing happening at once, which we already know was not the case. I've pointed out to you before, 
If you read through the book of Genesis, and many of you have already this year, and you read 50 chapters of Genesis, it no doubt escapes your attention, if you know this at all, that you've just read 2,000 years of history. That's a long time. And so the tendency in our mind is to read it as though it's happening, you know, one month after the other in a shorter period of time. So the Bible, first of all, does not include everything that there could have been said about history in, for instance, the book of Genesis. God didn't record everything there. The books of the world wouldn't be able to contain it. He contains not what we want to know as much as what we need to know. But then when we come to verses like Isaiah 61, verse 1 and verse 2, verse 1 has been fulfilled, still being fulfilled. Christ is still the healer. He's still the Savior, still proclaiming good news. But the second verse, part of it was fulfilled. And the second part is yet to be fulfilled, the day of vengeance of our God. That's where we're headed now. That's what this is talking about here. Because of the interest of time, I want to pinpoint one thing for you today. There's much to be said here about some of these prophecies have already been fulfilled. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, and it remains for all intents and purposes at the moment still destroyed. Now we know when we read the book of the Revelation that the temple would have to be rebuilt. And we know from 2 Thessalonians that the Antichrist will go into a temple that's rebuilt. Well, that hasn't been done. So that's yet future. These things are pretty much a given. But these signs, we're seeing them now. And one more thing that I want to add to this is that the last days began 2,000 years ago, not a month ago, not in the election that took place a few months back here in America. It began 2,000 years ago, so the plan of God has been unfolding for 6,000 years. Since God spoke to Adam and Eve, and he spoke to the serpent whom we know to be the devil, and God said that there would come a Messiah, the seed of the woman would come, and though the serpent would bruise his heel, he would crush, Jesus would crush Satan's head. And from that time, God has been forwarding a plan, which you can see and you can understand that God's timetable is not like ours. And so we don't want to impose on the text, even when it's unwittingly done, what is simply not there. But I do believe it's pretty easy to see by comparing Matthew 24 again, Luke 21, Mark 13. It's pretty easy to see that we're fitting into these verses here, 25, 26, but not 27. 27 is the conclusion. And then we jump ahead again, as I just read to you, to verses 29 to 33, when you see these things. Because the end of it is the appearance of Christ in verse 27. So for us, we are seeing signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. And certainly we're seeing on the earth distress of nations and the perplexity that goes with it. We're seeing the sea and the waves roaring. And again, I mention this for those who may be watching and oppose and say, there's always been these hurricanes and there's always been these earthquakes and there's always been famines. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And so on pestilences and wars and rumors of wars, but not all at once. And not with 7.7 .7 billion people on the earth and not with the technology. One of the things that we're up against is the fact that we're getting information instantly. For instance, the death of these mostly Marines in Kabul last week, we're getting it instantly. Whereas not that many years ago, but let's say 100 years ago, it would have took days or weeks for us to get that information. Now we get it immediately. And we can go on to our internet or just turn on the news and we can see it instantly. And what this is doing, if not handled properly, it's building up stress in our lives. So the subject I'm gonna talk about 
is things are looking up. But I'll explain that in just a second. In verse 26, what a graphic description of anxiety. Men's hearts failing them for fear. What fear? For looking after those things which are coming on the earth. I read many secular reports and books, mostly to see how they corroborate with what the scriptures already stated. The majority will never give credit to the Bible, and I would assume that the majority of people, most of these people who are writing reports about many of these things we read in scripture, may not even be aware of it, or to just dismiss it. In any case, for me, to read secular books and reports, I bring them in as a lawyer would in the court of law as testimonies, as witnesses. To say, this is what the scriptures already said. Men's hearts failing them for fear. Almost anybody here knows that one of the symptoms of anxiety are palpitations, chest pain. And when it's anxiety or due to the nervous system, it can be not only a distressing symptom, many of you already know that, but you wind up in the emergency room, which is probably a proper thing to do if you're inexperienced and you don't have a proper diagnosis of anxiety disorder or something like that. And so you want to make sure it's not something functional with the cardiac muscle. But so many of these symptoms will immediately affect the organs of the body. And so many, many, many organs of your body affected by fear alone. And then we have the word distress. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after the things that are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. In verse 25, we read about the distress of nations. And as we look out globally, we see these things in our lifetime. And once again, for the critic, the cynic, those who say, well, there's always been these things. Correct, there has been, but not all at once and not with the population that we have and not even near close to the technology that we have at the moment. No one can keep up with the technology. No one. Doesn't matter if you're in IT working in the field of computers, no one is able to keep up with how fast this is expanding. It's almost exponential, if it's not already exponential. Sagan wrote about this problem. Others are writing today about artificial intelligence, the problem that there may be with this, but let me say something about that. Always remember God's in charge. Always remember the intelligence is artificial, and it'll only figure out as much as God allows it to figure out. Keep that in mind. Everything is working for good. Romans 8:28. It's working out for good. But here's the thing. That's not how we feel. What we feel, and I'm using the word feel very specifically. Some say, oh, I feel when they really mean I think. I'm using the word feel, meaning you're actually feeling it. We are all feeling it. Are we all feeling the stress, the pressure? Somebody here say, not me. I'm good. And there's something wrong with you. We are all feeling the pressure. The word vicissitude, there are so many changes coming at us all at once, it's difficult to keep up with making a direction. You know, like again, I just got back from the Jersey Shore, and you have currents. You have, obviously, ocean currents. You have currents coming off the land, coming off the water, up above, and it's not unusual to see the flag going this way, then all of a sudden it's going that way, then that way, and then back over that way because of currents. And we are seeing and experiencing, moment by moment, changes changes that are hard to keep up with. And just when you start to figure out one, there's two or three, four more coming in. If you get news feeds like I do throughout the day, they're just coming in all the time, all the time. Somebody asked me about a certain portion of what's going on in the news and I didn't see it because there's so much coming in, so much. And this is now the challenge for the professing Christian. 
I was going to title this message, What Are You Looking At? But that's a phrase that we've all used. Where I grew up, that was a statement that was a challenge to somebody, a hostile statement. What are you looking at? And that question there does need some consideration. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? Do you have money in the stock market? It's not a bad thing. I believe it or not, I actually got some money there. I read the reports, NASDAQ is up, NASDAQ is down, whatever. Do you think I get anxious about that? Well, first of all, I can't control it. So why am I going to have palpitations, nervous symptoms, anger, frustrations over something I cannot control? Nor can you. With that being said, what are you looking at? If you, as I know some of you are already retired, and you're reading government reports about this and that and the other thing, how long have we been hearing that Social Security is running out of money? Well, I don't know if it's true or not. But once you absorb it as a truth, then you're angry at what the government did with your money all these years that you've been working and so on. What happens to your spirit? It's all in turmoil. It's all upset. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Let me tell you something right now. There's no verse in here of 31,102 verses in the Bible that ever said, now look to the Social Security in addition to God for your peace. And I'm telling you right now, as an American, it never said, and look to the federal government. Our Father's in heaven, not in Washington. And he always was in heaven, and he always will be, and we will be there with him. But what are you looking at? What are you looking at? Be honest. Because I'm telling you, and we heard this just a little earlier, but I'm telling you as a pastor, it breaks my heart to watch people I've known, to watch them backslide while they're sitting right in front of me. They're still sitting right in front. I don't mean necessarily today. And then little by little, you see the changes coming. This is what I'm good at. Not only the Bible, but judging people. Like I see their hearts turning away. They deny it, of course, but Peter did deny it too. Oh, I'll die for you. And Jesus said, no, die for me? Tonight, you'll say three times, you don't even know me. And let me tell you something. This is not the time to be backsliding. This is not the time to be pressing out and say, well, you know, I think I'll take a different route. I was going to say take a vacation. I need a vacation. And I just got back from vacation. <laughs> I already said I need a vacation. I wasn't even home 24 hours. I need a vacation. Emails, text messages, all this stuff. But that's what I have to do. That's my job. So I'm not grousing about it. I'm just saying that's a fact. And so it's not the rest. That's legitimate. We need a rest. Jesus took them and told his disciples to take them. It's this looking to escape that which you cannot escape. You cannot escape what's coming on the earth. And so for those, including those in the Christian world who lampoon us, who believe in the great escape known as the rapture, continue to laugh if that's what floats your boat. But my trust is in Jesus Christ. And I would suggest strongly that you start staring at him so intently that he's almost the only thing that you can see. The only thing. Obviously, you have to pay attention to other things, including when you're driving a car. But... You want to be able to see Jesus so clearly. That's what you want to be looking at. And we recognize these other things and we will pay attention to them, but you get the point. Along with that, the expression that we've had for many, actually many centuries, hey, things are looking up. It's hard to grasp that that's what Jesus is saying here. Because the expression, things are looking up, is always associated in our parlance with something we can see that's changing for the better. Example, you're in the hospital. You come in with a very high fever and a dangerous condition. Treatment is begun, rest, and so on. A day or two later, temperature's coming down, 
condition is improving, and maybe the nurse, maybe the doctor comes in, maybe both, and they say, hey, things are looking better, but you can see it. Temperature's coming down, you're starting to feel a little bit better. You're starting to recover. And so we use the expression, things are looking up, when we can palpably touch on things that are obviously better. Here we have the exact opposite. Here, as it is in our time now, things are getting worse. And Jesus says, they're looking up. Well, we know that's not precisely what he said. He said, start to look up. Because things are looking up. Because this is the way it's going to go before I return and bring in new heavens and a new earth. So with faith and not feelings, we start to look up, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If he were only the author, and there were other verses in the Bible that says, now God started it, you finish it, that would be a rather dicey situation. But God says in his word, in so many words, I started it, I'm going to finish it. Not only his plan for the earth and for the universe and all of that, but his plan for you. He who began a good work in you shall perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And this is the day. Verse 27. I won't go into the difference now between the rapture and the second coming. I'll just accent and talk about the second coming. That God is able, again, as the Apostle Paul said, I am persuaded. I am persuaded in my mind that he is able, which means willing as well. He is able. I'll put in willing, the word willing. He's able and willing to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. It is appointed for men to die once, and after this, the judgment. Read that in the book of Hebrews. There will be a judgment for every living soul. But for us who are looking at Christ and trusting in Christ, and I want to say this again because this may become a part of my vocabulary from this point out. I'm not looking at Christianity. I don't care what form it comes in. Some are good, some are not. I'm not looking at Christianity. I'm looking at Christ, and I find him in the book. I find him in the book. Other books, they're negotiable as far as I'm concerned. Theologians included, everybody's negotiable in my mind, but Jesus is not. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let me say this one more time. We need to pray for those who we already see and know are backsliding from Christ. You may not be aware because you're not an expert in this field, I am. But I can go home and tell my wife about somebody and say, how, do you, how can you say that? So I'm telling you. Then within a space of months or maybe longer than that, like a cancer, it just spreads, 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 spreads. Before you know it, the good habits they had of prayer and attendance at church services and all of this and being involved in ministries, all of a sudden it just dissipates. And what can I do? Two things. Pray and persuade, and that's it. But let me say this to you as well. I'm very firm in my decision for my life. I will not be distracted. I have a saying that I use with my wife. If someone's going to circle the drain and say, well, I'm taking you with me, you're not. I mean, you're not you. I mean, they're not. Well, you know, I think I just we need to talk about this. We don't. We've already talked about this. How many times do we need to talk about this? You need to make a decision to follow Christ. And if that's not there, you're not wasting my time. I don't have a lot left. Let's do the math. Well, I've done the math. You don't have to. I know how old I am. And I'm not having people say, well, you know, you're not wasting my time. I say, excuse me, people are not going to waste my time. You have a problem needs resolution? I'm with you. I'm there. You have a problem you want to chat about and get dramatic about? Save that for the Hallmark Channel, because I'm not listening to drama. I'll listen to your story. You, you get where I'm coming from? There's not much time left to waste. Jesus is coming. 
A blind man can see this in the dark. So what are you looking at? Look unto Jesus. Where's your prayer life at? Where's your Bible study at? Where is your church attendance at? Where's your involvement in ministries? For all these things, we will give an account. And we must be present at our post when Christ returns. Any dallying, no matter how much we justify it, and people say, yeah, yeah, well, you know, God understands your heart. Forget that. Listen to what the book says. I'm going to read you a few verses. The expression, things are looking up, is always used in our world based on things that are actually getting better. Hey, things are looking up. But here in the scriptures, as the world is in constant decay, as we see disintegration, which, by the way, was caused by sin, as we see even a law of thermodynamics, as the world is in decay and the universe is also in decay, Jesus says, things are looking up. I'm returning. And your redemption is getting close. Very, very close. That's the faith of Christ. That, in essence, if I may say so, is Christianity. Anything less than that is simply the same old fear you had before you were born again. Before you came to Christ. It's just an anxiety. Although I will say this. We could argue the point and say, but there are real things happening in the world. Really bad things. And I would say, yes, but didn't Christ tell us about that? Didn't he say before? Listen, in the world, you will have tribulation. I don't want tribulation. I don't pray in the morning, say, God, can you give me some tribulation a little bit more than yesterday? Give me a little more stress. Can you send more people to drive me nuts? I don't pray. Do you pray that way? Who does? But yet Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. That's a fact. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And this, we read in 1 John further, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. We can say things are looking up, not based on what we see. That doesn't make sense. Based on what Jesus said, that makes sense. And listen, anyone who's sensitive to God and sensitive to the Holy Spirit and just sensitive in general, it's sad to see what's going on. But remember Lot and remember Lot's wife. They had a lot of friends in Sodom. And God said, now when you leave and I deliver you, do not look back. And I never know and you don't know and no one really knows what caused Lot's wife to take a momentary glimpse back from where she just came. And boom, that was the end. Lot knew not to turn back, and he didn't. And that's the mindset that we must have right now. What are you looking at? I say this so much, and I know it's repetitive and redundant, but look at we're on vacation, and it was a foregone conclusion. We will get dumped on. There will be this, and there will be that. And as silly as it may sound, even to some of you, I prayed. I said, not on my vacation. I told one of my kids, I said, it can't happen. I said, why not? Is it because there's a man of God on vacation? <laughs> so we started going up here your way. And then as we prayed more, I said, well, we'll just send it over there to Boston or wherever. And that wasn't as bad as it originally was stated. But we had mostly sunshine the whole time. Again, and I say this in sincerity, it may sound silly to some of you, but it's not silly to me. Well, you said, where's your reference? The fifth chapter of James. Elisha prayed that it wouldn't rain. And God said, fine. 18 months, no rain, none, zero. Elijah got down and said, God, now let it rain. Boom, and the rain came down. 
Now, Elijah doesn't control the weather. I don't control the weather, but God does. Oh, and about humidity. It's clearly demonic. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. If you still have your Bible open, come with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 26. Look up to the God of peace. You know, I have a lot of favorite verses. I always say this is my favorite. I don't know anymore that I can tell which is my favorite, but this is one of them. I quote it to myself quite a bit. It's just amazing. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is what? Stayed. Stayed. You see, when you mix this with the things of the world, and you try to mix it with the Bible, it don't work. It just don't work. When the mind is fixed on God, the promise of God is perfect peace, because the person who does it trusts in God. Verse 4, trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. No disrespect to the people who make these batteries, but I have some everlasting batteries that were laying on my desk that are dead. So it's a nice name, but they didn't ever last. They didn't last ever. But God's strength is always the same all the time. And he says, look unto me, all the earth, and be saved. Not only for the end, I mean for eternity, but be saved from tomorrow, from today. Be saved from what could have been. We sang this hymn earlier. Oh, what needless pain, needless pain. There's a difference between pain and needless pain we bear. All because we did not carry everything to God in prayer. Lord, I'm trusting you. Lord, I'm looking at you. You control the weather. You control the rain or the sunshine, whatever. You control everything. You're working out a plan. What are you looking at? Because what you're looking at is what you're going to become. Or what you are becoming. Or what you've already become. Let me give you some evidence. There's a young man by the name of Cal Newport. He's a professor at MIT. Pretty good author. 38 years old, I think. Very young, but smart. Well, he's a graduate of MIT, and he's a professor at MIT, so we assume he's smart. But I read one of his books called Deep Work. It's a very good book. And what is the theory of doing deep work? Let me read to you from his book. These words, the ability to perform deep work. Now listen to this is becoming increasingly rare. At exactly the same time, it is becoming increasingly valuable. Now he has in our economy. So this is actually more of a business book. I call from these books that which I can apply to my ministry and my life in the Bible. I'm not a businessman, I'm a preacher. But I agree with this statement. The ability to perform deep work is becoming increasingly rare at exactly the same time it is becoming increasingly valuable. He says in our economy, but I'll just say in the times in which we live. As a consequence, the few who cultivate this skill and then make it the core of their working life will thrive. Now he's talking about business, but I'm talking about in the Lord. You, the great majority, you will never become a Bible expert, but you don't have to, to be deep with God. Follow me, Jesus said. Never said follow the crowd. Never said follow everyone who comes after me in my name. He said, follow me. Well, the apostle Paul would want to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. You want peace today? Follow Christ. How do you follow Christ? When he says to do something, you do it. And when he says not to do something, you don't do it. And this is not easy. Deep work in any field is not easy. 
If you're learning anything and you want to be deep, you want to be, let's say, a master at it, one of the things you have to embrace is periodic boredom. Because we're living in a time, I'll give you a few more quotes if I'm able to today, about the ubiquitous distractions that we are facing. I don't have my cell phone with me, it's in my office. I always have it, well, most times I have it with me, but it's always muted. I check it frequently, right, because I need to. You text or you call or whatever, if something's important. But 90% of what I'm getting are not important. Yet it calls for immediate attention. I could be reading my Bible, and I bet you, and I don't mean to shame you, I'm here to exhort you. You're reading your Bible, you're going a little deeper with God, bing, 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 bing. You gotta answer that email right now, you gotta answer that text right now. And you don't, in most cases. You don't. Now, most of you know who've texted or emailed me, I always get back to you. The rare occasion that I don't, and that's only because I maybe it really slipped my mind. But I don't let my phone distract me. It doesn't go off. Even if I had it in my pocket right now, you wouldn't hear it because it's always muted. One exception is that when I know I'm expecting an important phone call, then I turn it on so I can hear it ringing. Now, I'm not saying that you should do exactly what I do, but I'm saying this to you. And I'm saying to follow my example. At this stage of my life, I'm looking to go deeper with God, deeper with study. And in order to do that, there's other things I have to give up. That's the price. But if we take Cal Newport's statement and apply it to this here, which it applies perfectly, to go deep with God in the Bible means other things are going to have to go. And you cannot allow anybody and everybody and everything to distract you all the time. Let me say it to you this way in a rather blunt fashion. You don't need to be on social media 24-7. And it's a real good suggestion that you are on it very sparingly. I would not say, and I've argued this with other people, that you should be off it altogether because it has value, but only as a tool that you use. But when it's using you, and all day long, all you're doing is chatting and writing about whatever people put the pictures of their food, and I don't care what they're eating. In the conversation, I may care, you know, but I don't care what you eat. You want to see what I eat every night? No. <laughs> Believe me, you don't. It's a very bland, unexciting diet. Start to get off of that social media. You're taking information sometimes from our side. That's not even correct. Then you got to go do research for another couple of hours and find out that's not a true report. But you can pick up your Bible at any time and say, thus saith the Lord. Amen. Thus saith the Lord. This is what God has said. While still being informed and intelligent people. That's how I look at social media. You see, I post my devotions. We're live streaming at the moment. I keep in touch with some friends, some old friends. And then I'm off. I mean, I'm in and I'm out because I have it from good authority and other books that I've read by experts, including computer experts. I can't prove it, but they have made this statement that the internet and social media in particular was designed to be addictive. How does that work? It's instant feedback. You could put a statement out there and ding, 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 and you're going back and forth, not ever looking at your watch, that you may have wasted two hours. So now your knowledge of God is superficial. Let me say something else. In what we're facing, in the days to come, you cannot afford to be superficial in your faith with Christ because tribulation is coming and the great tribulation is coming and we must go deep with God. Yeah. Let the other, look, at, let all the other churches do whatever they're going to do and have the fun in the games, whatever they're doing. I don't even know. I don't check because it's just a distraction to me. I know what I'm called to do and that's what I'm going to do. And there's no negotiation at all with anybody. Deep work. I am so grateful, believe me. I have spent my entire life just reading the plain text, doing what I'm teaching some of you to do in our Wednesday night class. 
how to pull out the scriptures, how to pull out Greek and Hebrew words. I spent my whole life doing that, my whole life. Now I can preach in the dark. I can be in the place and pull scriptures from my mind from almost any place in the Bible because I spent my whole adult life in this one book. And just so you know, I've narrowed down my goals to just about three for the rest of my life to be an expert in those three areas. This obviously will be one. My job is to preach and to teach. That obviously will be included. And my hope is that God, by many means, will save many people. But now is the time for deep work. Look at the God of peace. Fix your mind on him. It will wander. The mind is known for wandering. That's no revelation. And when it wanders, you bring it back to the God of the Bible. Right here. In the hope that you're able to quote the chapter and the verse that you just thought about the verse. And when you can't, that's fine. But that would be the goal. Look, number one, to the God of peace. Number two, things are looking up to the God of joy. How do you have joy in a world like this? Well, I don't think it's all that easy. But let me just give this to you. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says this. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, you said, well, gee. Of course, that was easy for the apostle Paul to say because his days were not like our days. That's right, they weren't. They were much worse. Almost every single one of these apostles died as a martyr. Yet he's talking about joy. It's easy to talk about joy when nothing's going wrong in your life or in the world. It's not easy to maintain an attitude of the will that says, I will fix my attention on God and his word. That's a struggle. That's a battle. But it must be done. It is our only hope. To return to a faith in Jesus Christ that we had when this country was founded. It's not a hope. It's our only hope. That God would raise up, not politicians. We got enough of them. We need preachers. We need preachers who won't compromise. We need preachers who will live what they're actually preaching. We need Christ to build his church as he said he would. We need Christ. Cal Newport also went on to say in his book, Deep Work, professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that push your cognitive abilities to their limit. These efforts create new value, improve your skill, and are hard to replicate. If you've ever met, I don't know, I mean, some of you probably have met a real expert in their field. I've met a few in different fields. I'll give you one. One of my drum instructors was, no doubt, in my mind, the leading expert in this world of rudimental drumming. He was a truck driver. Professors of percussion, these guys that have doctorates in percussion, would come to him for lessons. That's all he talked about was rudimental drumming and the correct way to do it and all that. He was a master. That's why I went to him when I was in my 50s, go back and go over some things. If you've ever met somebody who's actually a master at what they do, you're going to find out they've made many sacrifices to get there. They went all over the place, doing everything, every 10 minutes up on Facebook, bing, boom, bing, boom, boom, boom. And can I say this? Uh, well, how could you stop me? <laughs> can I say this politely? It'll make you stupid. When you repeat something coming from our side, that's not true. Not only do they sound stupid, you sound stupid. Because someone makes a meme doesn't mean it's true. You want to be deep in the Lord. Whatever else you do, that's according to your gifts and talents. But you want to be deep. You want to be a master. You want to be able to call the master master and then have him say to you, it is enough that a disciple become like his master. 
Look to the God of peace. Look to the God of joy. And joy, by the way, doesn't mean this supercilious, superficial, crazy thing. Let me see preachers do. And he says, come on, where's your joy? And they start jumping all over the place. You remember I told you the story about the man that came to our church many years ago? He was supposed to be here for three days. He lasted one. He came to introduce us to laughter. I could have told him before he came, I already know all about laughter. I've been doing it since I was a child. And so he would go around and say, isn't that true? Ha, 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 ho, 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 he, he, he. And then he would poke someone in the ribs. This is supposed to be the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And only someone, let me say it politely, who is subpar intelligence would say, whoa, the Lord moved on me while he was tickling your ribs. I have grandchildren that when you tickle their ribs, guess what they do? They laugh. This has nothing, zero, to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit working in your life brings you to the cross of Christ. Where your affections and lusts are being put to death. And my friend, that is not easy. That is not easy. But it must be done in order to truly exude and to be able to be used of the Holy Spirit and the power that goes with him. In any case, we need to do deep work. Then we need to look at the God of power. Come with me to Jeremiah chapter 17. This is a verse I often quote, and I want to give it to you now. Look up to the God of power, of all power, not some power, all power. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath, as a bush, in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in the salt land, and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by waters. You can read that in Psalm 1 as well. And that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. When I was reading Psalm 91, I would suggest you do the same. And we're living in a time of the fulfillment of plagues and pestilences and so forth. And I came across the verse that says, And neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. And I told this to my wife, and I'm telling it to you. I'm not exempt from the same temptations that you are. I have to ask myself frequently, Do you believe that? To myself. I ask myself, Do you actually believe that? And I'll say, Well, yes, Lord, I, I believe that. It's not even God asking me. I ask myself, Do I believe that? I just gave you a statistic at this moment for New York State with COVID. Any one of you can do the same math that I did. I even used a percentage calculator because I'm not good at math. I assume the percentage calculator is accurate. Your chances of getting it are very low. Your chances of dying from it are very, very, very low. And we haven't even got to the Bible yet. I'm not diminishing those who are sick. We have a few people out today. We got summer colds more than I've ever seen before. And there's all this here. And the more you keep trying to think about it and factor it in, it's distracting you from the book. Look unto me. And this is my business. This is what I do. I do research for you of the Bible, of other things to bring in, to help you. 
But we must now obey and we must look to the Lord. Prayer. God is reminding me of so many things. And one of them is pray without ceasing. It's not a prayer time. It's a prayer life. People pop in my mind. Sometimes I don't even know who they are. I just start praying for them. Sometimes people pop in my mind. I do know who they are and I don't know why I'm praying for them. One night, the last night of vacation, I went to go get a coffee. My wife was doing some things, so I went down to the bay by myself. But before I went there, I got a coffee, and I looked over here at the curb, and here was a woman. And she just had a coffee, and she's smoking a cigarette. She's sitting on the curb, and she's talking to herself. And immediately, I felt compassion for this woman. Was she on drugs? Was she homeless? Was she schizophrenic? I don't know. And I said it without shame. I said, you know, if I had more time, I'm just going to go over. I was going to sit down on the curb with her and say, tell me your story. Maybe I can't do anything, but I could have prayed for her. Now, there's reasons that I didn't, and I, again, I'm not ashamed that I didn't. But these people are out there, and we need to tell them about Christ. You know what? We need to go for the worst sinners we can find. We're always looking for the guy that's the mayor. Let's get the mayor to come to the church. That's okay if he comes. Certainly welcome to come, but if he doesn't come, it doesn't affect us one way, because our power comes from God. Yeah. Our power comes from Christ. How many, the church in Washington there, the Presbyterian church, so proud of being the church of the presidents. Big deal. We're the church of the little people, the unknowns. And we're the guys that actually rule. We're the actually guys that pull the lever. Well, it's in theory of who's going to be voted in in this country. We're the power people. And the Bible says, look around. The paraphrase of 1 Corinthians. Look around and you'll notice that not many noble, not many aristocrats, not many wealthy are called. But then he goes on to say, you know, the Bible goes on to say how he's called, let me use the word little people. It's called the little people, the obscure people, the people you don't know, the woman who's sitting on the curb talking to herself, smoking a cigarette and drinking a cup of coffee. They're out there, folks. They're out there. And now is the time for us to be everything that we are told to be in Christ for our own protection, for the protection of our families, our loved ones, for this community where we are called, not just I'm called, we are called, this is now that time. So what are you looking at? Who's your favorite broadcaster? I have an advantage on most people because I don't trust anybody. That's an advantage for me. Somebody comes to me with the good guy and I say, mm-hmm. But when I look at the God of this Bible, I'm okay. Look at the God of peace. Look at the God of joy. Look at the God of power. Whatever you want to put, all the things that are associated with the great one true God, look at him. Look unto me, all the earth, and be ye saved. You can read this later, but in the book of Haggai, he's one of the prophets with Zechariah who's helping rebuild the temple. Zechariah is the high priest, and Nehemiah was actually the one actually building the walls and so on, temple. But the prophets, they needed the prophets. There were times discouraged building the temple. Christ is building his church. It's not been built. It's being built now. And you're the church. We're the house of God. And Christ is building you. And he's building me. Read in Haggai in chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Read later what happened when, after 70 years of captivity, after they were punished by God, and they go back to the land, and they let go for freedom and to build the temple and build the walls, what did they do? They started building their own house. I'm going back to my land and build my house. And the temple work was interrupted a few times. And Haggai has the word of the Lord. He says, is it time for you to be dwelling in your house and fixing your house? And what about the house of the Lord? I raise that question right now. What about the house of the Lord here in Amsterdam, New York? Who even knows where Amsterdam, New York is? Only us who live here. 
when I first got a call 34 years ago to come to Amsterdam, I thought it was Holland. So I don't speak Dutch. I didn't know where this place was. I never heard of it, but God did. And it's time for us now to build the house of God. That must be first. Seek ye first. Oh, I'm a good Christian because he's on the list. Top ten. First. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things shall be added unto you. Because in Haggai he says, is it really time for you to be, I'm paraphrasing, in a nice home and the temple is laid waste? No, it's not. It wasn't then and it's not now. This is the time to build the house of the Lord, the people of God. This is the time to invite people in. This is the time for laying on of hands to pray that Christ will heal the sick, deliver the oppressed. I saw a young guy on the boardwalk had this shirt, and I wasn't too close to him enough to tell him, hey, I like your shirt. It said simply this, not today, Satan. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I wanted to get close to him and say, I like your shirt. I wanted to give him the thumbs up on that one there. He's proud to wear it in front of everybody. Everybody else got some crazy deal going on. Remember seeing a woman with a white rat on her shoulder? You know, whatever they're showing off. He's got one that says, not today, Satan. And that's got to be our attitude. Not here, not on my watch, not today, because greater is he that is in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, no matter how weak you feel. That's a feeling. It's an emotion. But the decision of your mind is to put your trust in the Lord without distraction. And that's the challenge. It's going to be hard. Things are looking up. Stock market's going down. Well, it's up and down. There's wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences. And we have Marxists all over America that are intent on taking us over. And others are talking about let's have a civil war. And the preacher comes along and says... Things are looking up. Amen. On the surface, it's a ridiculous and irresponsible statement. But when we look at the scriptures, it's what Jesus said to do. Amen. It's what Jesus said to do. Remember the verse in the Old Testament, they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another? This is what we need to do, to exhort one another. When I'm feeling lonely, and that's quite frequently, believe it or not, I remember you. I remember, first of all, I'm married to a believer and equally yoked. I thank God for that. That's my wife just the other day. Is the Bible the word of God? That goes without saying. Then we're good. We're good. Then I have you. And you have me. And so we are blessed. You pray for me. I pray for you. And we are going to make it. We're going to make it. We are going to make it. How many of you could say today, Satan has been visiting your mind rather frequently? Yeah, quite a lot, right? I would have been surprised there weren't too many hands going up because I know he's been at my door a lot. I mean the door of my mind. Not today, Satan. The strong man is inside. And you've got to bind him first. That's not me. It's Jesus. You bind Jesus, you can have me. But you can't get past my father. You can't get past the great I am, the great shepherd. And he tests us. Oh, he tests us. <laughs> he tests us. You know, God says in my case, let's see if Barnett can take a little more. And I'm right on the edge, right on the edge. And I say, God, I'm right on the edge. Don't worry about it. So I'm going to keep lengthening the edge. At the end of my rope, Lord, and God says, reach down. Boop, there it is. And you know what I'm learning? 
That rope is everlasting. And we're going to make it. But let me tell you this story in helping you to avoid distraction and to show you the power of concentration. This is a woman, an author. She's an author on behavioral science. Her name is Winifred Gallagher. Something happened to her. I don't know that she's a professing Christian or not. The book is not written in a Christian tone. It's called Rapt, R-A-P-T, as in rapt attention. And she talks about an experiment some psychologists did. It's worth you taking this to heart. These psychologists were testing to see how, when people are really focused on something, other things are just taken out of the picture. What the psychologists did is they got a few volunteers together to just pass a basketball. Right, so you have white shirts and black shirts, and just pass it back and forth, pass it back and forth. And that's all they were to do. Pass it back and forth, pass, 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 come on, pass, pass. Then they introduced a gorilla, a fake one, but a gorilla, who actually stopped, beat his chest, everything, and kept on walking. But because they were so intent on what they were doing, they never saw him. They took that, they took a video of it, then they showed it, the video to volunteers. And they said, now, we just want you to concentrate as they pass the ball back and forth. That's all we want you to do, concentrate. How many times did they pass it back and forth? While they're counting, one and two and one and two. In the video, the same gorilla comes past, beating his chest, walks off, and they never saw him either. There's a great lesson here. I said a moment ago, you are what you're paying attention to. Let me say it, it's not so polite, I guess, but if you're living with Job's wife, it's going to be hard not to see a gorilla. I don't mean her, I just mean, it's, or him. It's going to be hard. I got to end on a better note than that. When you're living with someone who's a nag, male or female, when you live around people who are just, it's like they live to be a distraction. In other words, you won't see the work of God. You won't see the handiwork of God. You won't see what God is doing. All you're seeing is this gorilla or the distractions in the stands or whatever. This doesn't amount to anything. To anything. I'll challenge you. If any of you can tell me, you've actually become smarter from social media. Now, I told you, I find value in it. I use it. But the tools in my toolbox, once they start coming up and attacking me and trying to bring me into the toolbox, I'm off. And I'm on very little. But if you could tell me you've gotten smarter from listening to the general population talking all the time, I'd like to meet you. I'd like to hear your story. But I'll tell you one thing that I've learned from being continually in this book. It has kept me in every single storm. And it seems as though the storms are coming more frequently and with more intensity. Not just the ones out there, the ones inside, the ones that are coming at me. I know I've told a friend of mine sitting here today, you heard of storm chasers. People go out, it's a hurricane over here, tornado over here, and they go for it. I don't look for storms. They look for me, this, there he is, and they find me. But as long as I'm watching God pass the ball, I don't notice so much what's going on around me. But the moment I take my eyes off of this, my spirit starts to go down. Peter was able to walk on water when Jesus called him out. He says, come on out. And he's walking on water. Then he said, wait a second, I can't walk on water. Whoa, look at these waves. Boom, he went down. And then he said this, Lord, save me. Jesus reached down his hand, pulled him back up, and he said, why did you doubt? His doubt, no doubt, came from distraction. You want to attend upon the Lord in this hour without distraction. And here's the sad thing. I remember saying this way up on the hill. That's 30 years ago. In combat, you must establish superior firepower. Now, a comrade is wounded. I think I told you the story of a man I know was a sergeant in Vietnam in the Marine Corps. Well, no, he was up for promotion to be sergeant. 
And then on the test, to be sergeant, they asked him, your friend is wounded in battle, the mission is over here, which do you attend to first? And he said, well, naturally the comrade. Wrong answer. As sad as it may be for our wounded comrades, whom maybe we can and maybe we cannot help, we must establish superior firepower, and the mission must go on. Saving souls, prayer, knowing the Lord through the Bible, and so on. The mission must go on. We cannot circle the drain with people who have made decisions by an act of the will. Pray for them. Exhort them. We must go forward. We must move forward with the work of God, for Christ is coming soon. How soon? Don't know, but soon. Let's go before the Lord today and ask, ask yourself, what, what am I looking at? What am I looking at? Read Psalm 91 later this afternoon. It says we wouldn't fear the pestilence that walks in darkness. Isn't this, this disease here we got kind of walking in darkness? I know some of you have had it. It wasn't fun, right? Okay. I understand. I really do. I'm not going to take unnecessary risks, but it's walking in darkness. We don't have good intelligence on this. So what happens? We're distracted from the Lord, Christ our healer, Christ our savior. Let's bow our heads, bow our hearts. Be honest with yourself, because anything less than that is not going to be helpful. What are you looking at? That's my family, Pastor. You know, they're there. okay, okay, okay. All right. What can you do about it? Nothing. Pray. Or oh, it's my job. Okay, all right, all right. You have the option of getting another one. But if not, pray. What are you looking at? What is your eye on? Because you won't find peace in people. You won't find peace in the latest news report, though again, we must be informed. We have peace in Christ. Father God, help us today to be focused people, to be people who have wrapped attention to you. As these experts, Cal Newport, Winifred Gallagher, and there's others that I've read, who are all saying the same thing. Do the deep work. Get away from the distractions. Embrace the boredom and become comfortable being uncomfortable. Shut off those adrenal glands a little bit. Take deep breaths. God, today we put our hearts and minds on you. They're stressful times. They are distressful times. Seems like the only news we ever get is something that's bad. Yet, during this bad news, you said, now things are looking up. Your redemption is very close. The kingdom is close. I'm close. And you also said, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And we thank you for these truths. As your eyes are closed, your heads are bowed, your hearts are bowed, I'm asking you this question, no need for a hand or an amen or anything. Are you reading your Bible every day? Five chapters? Okay, do six. Push yourself. Read seven, read ten. Push yourself. Are you praying without ceasing? Well, if you're doing it without ceasing, then you're already there. Your attendance upon ministry, what God has called you to do, are you doing it? I would exhort you, do it, do it. You need God more than he needs you. Your tithes, your offering, and it goes on and on. Now's the time to put the pedal down. Now's the time to go forward. But does that describe you? I pray it will describe me, your pastor, and it will describe you as well, that if we're gonna make a mark as a church, let it be noted that we were the brethren that loved and the brethren that were totally and truly dedicated to Christ. So with that, Father, I just put my brothers and sisters in your hands. I am very, very grateful for them. I really am grateful for my wife that I have as a believer, solid believer, fervent believer, and for those who sit in front of me many for many decades. And we're going to make it because you said we're going to make it. We are going to make it. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised 
Love God with all that you have, your intellect, your gifts, your talents, your finances, everything. Love Him with everything that you have. And then, by the love we have for each other, we could create, I've changed the name, at least temporarily, for the show that I do on a daily basis to The Oasis. I want it to be an oasis for people who watch with anxiety and depression. So I gave it a little cute title. Maybe it won't work, who cares? But let's make this an oasis when we're together. Time to breathe, time of refreshing. Be a Barnabas, be an encourager. If you need encouragement, ask, and we'll exhort you. And uh, I would really appreciate your, your prayers for me. Satan does not like me, good for me. Father, we bless you and praise you. This is truly the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And we will look up for our redemption is very close. We give you all the praise, Father, all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' mighty name. Let's all say it out loud together. Amen. Amen. Amen.